episode three of the podcast, Time Out with DG. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm DG, Daniel Gotera. And if you're still around after two episodes, well, God bless you. Because uh, I appreciate all the support that uh, that you're giving us. So thank you so much for that. Um, today, another special guest with me here at the KHOU Studios. You've heard from him. You know who he is. Former Texan, Seth Payne. He's on Sports Radio 610. Seth, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Episode 3, this is exciting. I know. Well, thank you for being like a part of this. Like uh, a forefather. Like I said, well, hey, you, you're part of this whole podcast thing. You're like an expert already. You've got yours too, <laughs> yeah, right? So yeah. go ahead and plug it. What, what's uh, it what's the, it's the Deceptively Fast Podcast, which started off as a joke, but it's it's hard to spell, which breaks all the internet rules <laughs> about how you're supposed to do stuff. Right, right. So, and it doesn't, it's bad for branding, but it's the, it's the old joke about... If a white guy is fast, he's deceptively fast. Yeah, I got you. But I, I, I but I wasn't ever even deceptively fast. So, <laughs> um, do you like the podcasting thing? I mean, it, I mean, it's it's something different. I yeah, mean, I'm kind of exploring this, like I said, right now, and I like it. I think it's kind of cool. It's one of those things where you think, hey, this will be no effort at all because it's just a quick little, uh, no production or anything into it. But then you you have a tendency to overthink it. At least I do. And yeah. it ends up being more, it's like one of those in this industry, I guess, just even in television or radio, you think, Oh, I'm going to work 40 hours a week. But then you realize that you're working 80 hours a week. Oh, it happens all the time. Yeah. I so for like... a half hour podcast, you're thinking about it for four hours before it right. and it ends up being a half day. Uh, oh, that's right. No, I mean, it, it happens like that. Even my wife, I mean, my wife's in the business too. Yeah. And I'm working on projects and she's still asking me like, Hey, how much longer do you have? It's like, I I don't know. I mean, that's, you just never really know, right? Yeah. So, no, I kind of like this. This is kind of cool. We had Brian Ching on uh, our last episode, and he was great. So if you missed that episode, go back and check that out. Um, so, Seth, I just want to talk to you about just just your journey here, man. I mean, how 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 do you sum up your track, uh, your, your journey to get to this point? Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, well, I, I played I was in high school. I wasn't recruited heavily at all. I wasn't recruited at all out of high school. I was a, I was maybe six foot one, six foot two my senior year. I ended up growing to be six foot four, uh, and I didn't go to a, an area that got heavily recruited. So I walked on at Cornell, and over the course of my first few years there, I grew a couple inches, and I started to get a little bit of attention from NFL scouts. So about my junior year in college, I went full bore. Said, "All right, I'm setting my sights on the NFL." Right. I stayed at college over the summer because it's different, you know, especially back then it wasn't like big time schools where you stay over the whole summer and that's your job. Sure. I wasn't on scholarship or anything. Usually I went back in the summers and yeah, worked that's right. for my, on yeah. the farm. Uh, so my senior year, I, I stayed and worked out uh, at school, ended up getting drafted, played in Jacksonville, and then came to Houston in the expansion draft and played five years here. And never, I never thought I was going to be in the media when I was done. I can remember going on Bob Allen's show on a Sunday night, and mm-hmm. he was telling me, you know, you should really think about getting into yeah, it. Yeah. You're, you're well-spoken for an athlete, and uh, you've, you've, you know, obviously got a perspective on things. <sighs> nah, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want That's not the life <laughs> for me. Uh, but then I got, I was done playing football for about five years and kind of shuffling around trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life because I had a plan and that didn't work out. I just didn't like doing what I... What was the plan? The plan was, well, originally I was, uh, I actually invested in a restaurant, which which is a golden corral. So it wasn't oh, okay. like investing in my buddy's restaurant or anything. Right, right. Um, 
But I did that actually more for the real estate investment side of it. But then it was uh, it was in 2007 when I retired, which if you were in real estate in oh, yes. Florida in 2007, it was a really bad place to be. Oh, man, that's <laughs> like right. like standing underneath an incoming asteroid. Oh, and, uh, oh so, gosh, that's right, 2007. So it didn't devastate me, but it kind of soured me on the commercial real estate market. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Well, that's too bad, man. That's just bad timing. Yeah, no, it was bad. <laughs> no, but it was good. It was a good lesson learned. That's true, I guess, so, if you look at it that way. So I said, all right, I'm not going to be a real estate investor, at least not then. I, I should have stuck, stuck with it, you know, because, well, no. Florida, Florida, it took forever to rebound. I was, I stuck with it for about five years and finally oh, wow. I said, all right, screw it. Everything that I owned was still worth 50% of what I had bought Is it for right? in like 2006, oh, 2000. man. So anyway, I got into oil and gas in New York and I was having a good time with that. But we had done it because my, my wife and I wanted to move back to be closer to where we both grew up which is kind of in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York. And after about two years of that, we realized we liked being around civilization more than our families. So, <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So, so at the same time, I'd been doing radio interviews with John Granado. Uh, at the time, he was on 1560 AM in Houston. Mm-hmm. So I would call in, and whether it was John Granado with Sean Pendergast for a little while, then it was John Granado, I think, with John Harris for a little... No, I can't, I can't remember who was his other co-host, co-host for a little while. But John kind of talked me into... Right. Get into the media side of things. So one, I took one weekend one year and came down here and met with the three different sports stations and yeah. kind of just decided to say, screw it, we're moving back to Houston. And started doing some part-time work with 610 and the Texans radio. And it just, right. uh, that, that turned into a full-time job within a few months. So I got to ask, I, I always wonder what athletes think. And I, I feel bad, like, in my, in my position... You know, sometimes people in the media that you know, we we all know this, especially national talking heads, they're like super intense, super critical of every little thing. I always felt weird about that yeah. because most of those guys never played the game at not that level, not even college. I mean, but they're super critical. Like, so when you're a player, what did you think of the media? You know, it was it's funny. I was just thinking about that before I came over here because this is a Sunday evening. We just watched the Texans lose an incredibly boring game to the Carolina Panthers. But I was reading John McClain's position grades. Yes. And when you're a player, you know that the media, you know, you know, John McClain isn't sitting and doing film breakdown immediately afterwards. He's grading it. He's grading it within an hour of right. The, it's just what he sees. Instant uh, right, reaction right. type deal. But I used to care about it when I was a player. Really? I used to feel like, eh, John gave us an A minus. All right, that's no not kidding. Bad. Or if he gave us a C minus, I'd get pissed. Because I felt like, well, that doesn't tell the whole story, John. And <laughs> because you and, and and it was different then because it was still, you know, I was done in two thousand six. There weren't there weren't that many blogs. Yeah. And now it's exploded. There wasn't as much extensive coverage from every outlet online. Mm-hmm. I'm sure KHOU at that time had a website, obviously, but it yeah, wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't to the extent of right. this like every. Every social media side, social media is social media is yeah, is because really now you can up. you can look on a phone and see twenty reviews of how you did. That's right, and yeah. It, I, and I would imagine as a player, it can be kind of it, it feels like a deluge. Yeah, if you if you pay attention to it, right? So, well, guys pay attention, right? right? I do. mean, they well, some some do a good job of not paying attention. Is that some, right? I mean, yeah. they, even though they they say, oh, no, we don't pay attention," but some guys actually don't. Well, I think it's just human nature it, to uh, you play in a high profile sport like this, yeah. and then. 
okay, well, what are people want? I, I want to know what people are thinking, right. right? I mean, that's just human nature. We all we all feel that way sometimes. It is human nature, but it's like with a lot of things, like human nature, like it's human nature for me to want to go out and have relations with a lot of different people. But like I, <laughs> I, I suppress that human, that yeah, human no, nature. That's true, yeah. So likewise, checking your mentions is kind of, you have to squash that human nature at times. Um, so, I, and I think some guys do a good job of it. I think it's harder for kids now. I say kids. It's harder for athletes now because even if you don't have social media, like I don't, I don't think Brennan Scarlett has social media. There are a few guys don't, that don't yeah. even have social media. Right. Then it makes it a little George bit Springer. easier. George Springer, right, doesn't right. have social media. And yep. look at how happy he is. I know, right? Yeah. And he lets his wife do all that. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, well, yeah. She's oh, got a, a very active on social media. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I knew not, for, obviously. not for him, but yeah. she's very active. I think she's part of a like a workout club here. Like oh, really? Sweat 1000, Sweat 100, something like that. Oh, okay. It's a new workout place, and she, she does a lot of posts on oh. social media. So oh, I, I see her pop up every now and then. With I, pictures of him, and I'm like, no, I know that's not George posting that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's well, I remember when Mario Williams, his rookie year, was getting a lot of criticism in the press because he had plantar fasciitis the whole time, and he wasn't very productive his mm-hmm. rookie year. And I remember talking to him once, saying saying something along the lines of like, "Hey, listen, don't worry about don't worry about you know all the criticism." And he looked at me like, "What criticism? What are you talking about?" Because he didn't read the paper. He or anything. genuinely had no clue. Yeah, he, he didn't. Just and, tuned it out. Yeah, he had his family just not tell him anything. Wow. And guys that are really strict about not having their family tell them anything, I think that's a good strategy. But sure. you're right; it's it's really hard. It's like if it's like if you told me that somebody in the next room was talking about me. Yeah, it's hard not to put your. I, I gotta, I gotta try to find yeah, out what's going yeah, on. Or at least maybe stand up near the door or something. Right, right. So, so you mentioned John McClain. Uh, yeah. He's been with the game for a long time, yeah. Hall of Fame guy. Um, but like, what was the what was the sense in like locker rooms amongst players when you did read some of the criticism and, and you, you did, was there a thought like? This guy doesn't know what the heck he's talking about because I never played the game like this. I mean, it, I've always been wary of that. That's yeah. why I don't, you know, in some of our Sunday night shows or commentary online, for me personally, I've always felt weird. I'm not going to, like, lay into people because I never played the game at that level. I never even really played the game. I played more baseball and basketball than yeah. football. But we watch it. We kind of understand the game at this point. There's times where the, I guess the most frustrating times are when you're getting blamed for something and it's definitely not your fault, but you yeah. can't sell out a teammate. So oh, yeah, sure. And it's not I mean, it's not hard to do, but it's just frustrating that at times, you know, as, as a defensive lineman, I remember for me, it actually might be easier to be a defensive lineman these days because there's so many more people doing film breakdown and actually paying attention, mm-hmm. where when you're a nose tackle, a lot of times – it would just be, oh, they they didn't do well versus the run. It must be the nose tackle's fault yeah, because right. you're in a 3-4. It's right. a nose tackle. But meanwhile, all the big runs in a game might have been when nickel was on the field, which means the nose tackle. I'm not even – I'm on the sideline. Yeah, sure. It was all in passing situations that they ran. But then you look in the paper – and you see all the, you know, you, you need a fatter nose tackle in there. That's <laughs> and frustrating. And you're like, what is going on? Yeah. yeah. So you have to, you learn to try to tune it out. And it is, it's probably, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do is to ignore the voices that you know ultimately don't matter. Because nobody in the paper is determining how much you pay. That's or right. Or how much you get paid or how much a coach actually likes you. You know, coaches aren't going to get swayed by that stuff. They know who's good and who's not. Exactly. And sometimes it works in their favor to for the media to not think a guy's very good. Yeah, just right. Motivationally, sure, I think. sure. So it's, I, I think it's interesting if you look at Kevin Durant and think about somebody who should be at the top of the world, 
in terms of how he feels about himself. Oh yeah, that's and a yet, that's a great example. He can't let it go sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing if Skip Bayless is tearing into you, you can fight back against Skip Bayless, even sure. though Skip Bayless wins. Yeah, the problem with Skip he's Bayless, bigger, he's got a bigger microphone. He just talks. And, but he wins even if he loses. So, okay. No, that's that's oh, what that, yeah. Le- LeBron really showed him, right? I don't, I don't know. Bayless is making like $6 million a year. Yeah, that's he's, right. He gets yeah. all, anything, Bayless, as long as he gets publicity. Yeah, once is, you get to that point, it doesn't really matter. He's, yeah. he's just fine with being a talking head, right? Colin Coward taking on Baker Mayfield. Right. Whether Baker Mayfield does well or whether he does poorly, Colin Coward wins. Yeah. So, you can try to set the record straight, but for the most part, I think you see Durant get upset with trolls on the internet and then act like he doesn't care, but that's the biggest lie people will ever tell anymore these oh, days. Yeah. Oh, I don't care. Or I'm just having fun with it. I'm just having fun. I'm just messing with these guys. Oh, it, <laughs> it, it eats at them. Yeah. 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 Um, so then let's go back. You, you mentioned you, you were upstate New York yeah. is where you're from, and you, you grew up on a farm? Is that I, grew, I grew so up. What the... My parents were divorced, but my dad was a farmer, and so when I went... In the summers, I'd stay with him, and then my my grandfather and my uncle, who lived close to us, or my cousin, uh, I'd work on their farms, you know, on the weekends and yeah. in the summers. So what was farming like? family. What was that like? Uh, it was it was cold and miserable. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was it, baling hay was probably the worst job I've ever done. Baling hay is the second worst job. Climbing up a silo in winter with a a chute where silage is coming down your back as you're climbing oh, no. up. That's the that's the second worst job. We're doing it in the summer actually when it's really hot. Anything involving hay, silage, stuff like that. It's a it's a hot niche job. Right. In that by far some of the probably the most character building moments of my life were when I was 12, 13 years old and working with full-grown men baling hay and you got to keep up. Oh, I and bet. You're just exhausted and yeah. you're thirsty and Nobody cuts you a break because you're yeah. a kid. They expect you to keep up. Did you think about those days when you were playing? Yeah, I mean, it, did they, did they help? I mean, yeah, that mentality al- that you had kind of growing up. Yeah, it always just. I, I guess I never felt like football was hard work at all. You know, it's not now. Training camp wasn't fun, and that that's miserable too. Yeah, but I always was able to keep the perspective, and I, I, I think. I was always regarded as a really hard worker. And to me, it just kind of felt like whenever people thought I was working extremely hard, that just was the standard that I was taught mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Right. I, I looked at it as this is how I'm, this isn't hard work. This is how you're supposed to work. Right. You know, you're supposed to go until you, until you feel like you're going to pass out. So uh, it was always easy for me to maybe kind of play above my athleticism. I felt like I could, handle more pain than a lot of guys could yeah. or handle a lot more misery. That yeah. was another one. One of the best books I ever read and one that shaped me a lot as a young athlete was um, not Lance Armstrong, but, um, oh, I'm blanking now. He was a cyclist, Greg LeMond. Okay, yeah. Greg mm-hmm. LeMond, who was the first American cyclist that won a bunch of Tour de France. That's right. And he, got, and he had a hunting accident, almost yeah. died, came back and won another Tour de France. But one of the things he talked about in his book was how how important a willingness to suffer is and a willingness to look ugly like as you're suffering, to just sure. not care and to go into that mode where you can suffer more than other people. Yeah. And I always felt that way just in training. Interesting. So weightlifting, running, on a football field in the fourth quarter. I always felt like 
if I wasn't as athletic as other people, I could still suffer more. Yeah. And, well, and that's when guys, the mental part of the game yeah. really kicks in. Yeah. Those moments. Yeah. And there are, I, I tell kids this all the time. You're never as tired as you think you are. As, as tired as you think you are, as long as you're still going, mm-hmm. you're actually, you're better off than you think you are. You just have to learn to stop listening to your body. You have to listen to your body sure. at certain parts, but like in the middle of a performance sometimes, the worst thing you can do is listen to your body because it's lying to That's you. That's right, yeah. So was it a generational thing for the family? Uh, just uh, farming? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, going back to my great-grandfather. I don't That's... know what my great-grandfather's father did, but my but that, great-grandfather yeah. was a farmer. But it was, I mean... Because you never wanted to be, you never wanted to continue that. You mean you worked no. on the farm? Yeah, no. You were done with that life. No, because I mean. That, my grandma I, told me to, because my grandma, my, my family, they were well-educated people that grew up on a farm. And it, the reason I wanted to go to Cornell was because I would have been, I was the third generation of my family going to Cornell. Oh, really? And my, my grandma just said, always encouraged me to explore other things. Because for the amount of, as smart as people in my family were and as hard as they worked she saw that the reward wasn't there and the stress is isn't yeah. isn't worth it um sure so and so she wanted me to do something different she kind of talked me out of it so what did you want to do business um did you go to cornell with the idea because you i mean you went you walked on football obviously right. the nfl was never a thought to you said your junior year right and you, that's yeah to my junior my, some of the my scouts actually, started paying attention. i was i was way too immature for to go to college i, I my plan was either join the marines or go to uh, to Alaska and get on a fishing boat after Seriously? I got out of high school. Yeah, I graduated high school early because oh, wow. I was just tired of it. I just thought I didn't want to go to school anymore. And, yeah. and football kind of happened Okay, more than I, – I, our coach my senior year got fired, and he had never talked to colleges about me or anything. So me and this kid, Sean O'Day, were working out in the weight room and we walked into the coach who'd been fired. We walked into his office, and there's a stack of letters from colleges on the on his desk, that just unopened. So oh, question no. questionnaires, yeah. So I took the one, and I and I had been I had been thinking about even though I didn't I wanted to go to Cornell someday, but I wanted to take some time off. Yeah. So I found the one from Cornell, and I filled the questionnaire out, didn't sign it or anything, but just put my name on it. Uh-huh. And Sean found a few and filled yeah, some sure, out, sure. and then we sent them off, and then I. Kind of forgot about it, and three weeks later, I got a call down. I was in math class or something, and there was a coach from Cornell there that wanted to see me. No kidding, yeah, just that yeah, quick, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so was said, it? What what was that like? I mean, what was that conversation like with him? Do you remember? Because um, you weren't thinking about yeah, football. I, I was just he, it he just was, happened. He was sitting. He sat in the because t- he was coming through the area, so he was sitting in the guidance counselor's office and the guidance counselor was a football coach too he had been an assistant i think he was the defensive line coach actually is mr condon so he was showing him some tape and i could tell <laughs> i could tell that the the coach it was coach de stefano who ended up being my defensive line coach when i was there and he had a really funny way of speaking but he was like this is uh this is this is pretty good, man. This is pretty good. So who's uh, who's talking to you? He's kind of yeah. looking at me like he just like like, un- like he, he found gold or something. Into, yeah, yeah, he just walked yeah. into something like that. So uh, okay, all right. Well, uh, we're gonna be in touch, okay? Yeah. So and I all the while some... he goes back to the car, makes <laughs> yeah. a phone call, and then, yeah. you know, whatever it is, it's like, oh my god, I just found just a treasure up here, right? Yeah, and it was I, it was funny. I went back and I, I looked at some of my high school tape from. Uh, just a few years ago when I went home to visit my mom and I, 
I almost got retroactively angry that I didn't get recruited because that was a pretty good high school football <laughs> player. But it's just, that was before. I can only imagine what your thought process was when you went into his office and you saw the stacks of letters. Yeah. yeah oh, like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this he, guy. killing me. Oh, yeah. And he'd gotten fired because he was just, a, he was for being a jackass. Oh, you know, right? so, yeah, it wasn't. And I remember he had asked me once if I wanted to, if I wanted to play college football. And I can remember I didn't, I didn't have the confidence to know that I could. And I think I had kind of hemmed and hawed about it. And I guess in his mind, that was just it. You know, there was no telling me that I was capable of it or anything. Sure. It seemed so so far off and distant from... Isn't that funny how things happen? Like those moments you just walk and you just fill in a a paper. Yeah. And and then your whole life... (laughs) Yeah. Your whole life changed uh, like that one particular moment. Yeah, I because I maybe I if I hadn't just joined the Marines, I probably would have gone because I was getting some attention from Division three schools too. Okay, I would have gone to a Division three school, but back then and still, it's really hard to go from a Division three school to the NFL. Yeah, they just don't. Right, it's hard, you don't develop as much, and and coaches Competition don't look at you. The, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so you said. You why was the Marines an option? Like, what was? Do you have family that were in the no, Marines, or you just kind of wanted to? Yeah, I think it's just that why any eighteen-year-old kid wants to join the Marines, like the, for all yeah. those reasons that a forty-four-year-old doesn't want to join, join the, the Marines, <laughs> like with like yeah, my yeah. sense of sanity and everything. Because um, at the time, that was before that was before nine eleven, but it was after the first Gulf War. It was more just a, a matter of just always. You know, growing up and reading sure. reading war stories and watching movies, it's you know when you watch it's one I've noticed as you get older when you watch a movie like Platoon, you think, oh wow, that it's just war is horrible. Or you watch Saving Private Ryan, yeah, just look at how awful this is and look at sure. how scary it is. You watch those same movies when you're sixteen, seventeen. And all you see is the the glorious part. That's right. You know, yeah. yeah. Which is you why you just see things totally different. Right. Yeah. 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 So I would have been just yeah. It it, it wasn't out of a extreme <laughs> sense of duty or anything. Oh, I, just I got wanted you. An adventure. So, Same as I would have gone to go work in Alaska. Yeah. Well, I yeah. guess when you saw when you finally saw the deadliest catch years later, and you're like, yeah. oh, thank God I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew how lucrative it was. I'd That's read, true. I read it an is. article in the Economist about how lucrative it was. So I. I so I, you I, added that on the list of yeah, possibilities. Yeah. I, I kind of like. Well, if I start off there and I can build up some cash, and as long as I don't lose one of my hands, then I can travel a while. <laughs> there you go. I did. I because I did the same my junior year. I'd read a couple. I read Jack Kerouac. I read On the Road. And uh, I guess I was a very impressionable kid because I read on the road in maybe March of my junior year and then I quit school in April of my junior year and took off and drove to Florida. What? Uh, yeah. Really? And, uh, and then kind of on the way got talked back into it just through phone conversations with my mom. So that was when talking to that guidance counselor, same guidance counselor. Yeah. Um, he told me, all right, well, listen, just come back to school. This is spring of my junior year. You can play football in the fall. If you take some classes at community college this summer, you can graduate after in, in the December. fall. So that's how I graduated early. Oh, nice. And then kind of stumbled into a football career. Yeah, you, it sounds like it, yeah. right? I mean, so what was playing? What was like like playing in the uh, Ivy League? Uh, it was it was fun. It was really cool. It was um, you have a lot of like when I think back on my memories of playing in the Ivy League, there are a lot of prototype fall football days like where you're in this historic stadium mm-hmm. and it's 55 degrees out and it's sunny and there's flags flapping up in sure. the at the top of the stadium the stuff that you would see in movies like yeah the setup yeah. shots to movies and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that yeah yeah and you play, like you play in harvard stadium and it's 
it's one of the oldest stadiums in football. It's one of the reasons the field is the dimension, the dimension that it is now, the dimensions that it is now, is because they they wanted to expand it to make it safer mm-hmm. back in the early 1900s. But Harvard's field was the size it was. It's pressed right up against the oh, is that right? The stadium's pressed right up against the the sidelines. So just really cool experiences like that. A lot of the stadiums, the old Yale Bowl, um, and then just for me it was perfect because it was the right. It was the right level for me to play at, and it was it was great playing with a bunch of guys who were probably like a lot of the players at Northwestern. You know, they're guys that could have done other things, but really loved playing football yeah. and wanted to play football. Yep. and they could have gone elsewhere, but they wanted that experience of being student athletes. Yep. So I found be, you see I, that I think, story a lot, like Northwestern, Stanford, yeah. and Vanderbilt, probably yeah. same. Though, you know, all those schools. Yeah. And, and it's, I think there was, I think we were better at maybe self-policing ourselves. I think more so than at other big schools. I, I heard some of this. I would hear some of the stories about guys at SEC schools and everything, and I thought, wow, we would have, like, our seniors wouldn't have allowed that. <laughs> oh, know? that's right. Yeah, yeah sure. it, it was just guys. It, you're you're dealing with a lot of motivated guys, it's like a different driven in, uh, driven types too, of guys yeah. that are very. They're also good students, so they're sure. pretty they're pretty mature and responsible. That was good for me from a maturity standpoint. So when you get into the NFL, what was your oh my god, I'm in the NFL moment? Um, you remember that? Let's see. The first I remember the first time we were in pads that practice that was a little bit overwhelming because I was on the Jaguars at the time. Yeah, and they had a really big offensive line. So I'd gone through mini camps in the spring and just some notepad stuff. And I thought, all right, this isn't that bad. And I remember the first day of full pads when we did a really physical drill. And I did I did all right, but but it was you, you like got going done up with the drill the brick wall. Yeah. You like, got done oh. with the drill, you're like, Oh my gosh, we yeah. do this over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You know one of the biggest actually it's not the most glamorous sounding welcome to the NFL moment, but where I really realized that it was we weren't in Kansas anymore. Yeah. Was just running wind sprints in the preseason when all these offensive linemen that are 320 pounds, you know, I was used to always being the biggest guy that could run the fastest sure. and in running conditioning drills and everything, I could win them all the time. Yeah. All of a sudden I'm, I'm running with the offensive linemen on various days and these 320 pound guys are running like gazelles, you know, uh, running hundred meter wind sprints. Yeah. That was I, that was eye opening. I think that's the thing that most people don't understand. And again, it goes back to, you know, just just being around the game for me, just covering. I mean, the athleticism that these big guys have, yeah, is truly phenomenal. And you got to, obviously you you were one of those guys, but I mean, to really appreciate just how athletic these guys are, it it it, it it's hard. Because you, you see them, but I mean, when you're on the field, field level, see these guys. I mean, it's it's amazing. Well, to see, it's uh, you know what it is. See you guys work honestly. It's it's because when you see like in the NBA, sometimes you don't appreciate how athletic the centers are because they're next to all these incredible athletes. Yeah. So you don't realize how well they're moving because exactly. they're doing it next to other guys. So I think when you look at the linemen, you see that they're they're also they're doing their work out there alongside guys that run four three forties. Yeah. So you definitely don't think of them as moving all that quickly, but it's uh it's it's kind of shocking how fast some guys are. And then how quickly I lost it. I spent a year or two away when I after I was done playing and I went back and tried to work out with some guys in Jacksonville and it is was that right? even oh yeah. I that's why 
I, I, I mean, it's I, a full-time job. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you, you really, you have to really stay. I guess when you're in it, you got you don't re- realize it probably, and then yeah, you, you don't you realize step away how intense and how hard you're working. Yeah, because I see it when guys retire, and I went through the same thing. They'll go through two years where they don't understand yet that working out doesn't mean that you have to be just destroying yourself. <laughs> and I'll see these guys <laughs> their first couple of years out in the gym. What are you doing, man? Like you gotta, you gotta stay healthy the rest of your life. Exactly. You can't be slamming bar dumbbells off your chest and everything. Yeah, you don't and have to keep to crushing it all the time. Seventy here, pound yeah. dumbbells. Yeah. Right. It's just, right. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Uh, so your time in Houston, um, I remember I was at the first game, uh, and you talk. I'm sure you've talked about this a lot. But what, what was what was the takeaway for you that maybe most people wouldn't realize from that first? Game, first season, building a new team, all the stuff that went into it. How fun was it? How n- nerve-wracking was it? I mean, all the, all the emotions yeah. that went into it. Well, the, the first game, I've, I've tried to be honest when I talk about it and think about just how much did I expect us to have a chance to win that game. I'm sure by the time the game rolled around, it's like any other time, you, you convince yourself that you're going to win. But I can remember that entire week leading up to it being just so stressed. And I remember, I can remember being kind of short with my wife and and thinking, what am I doing? Like, why am I, why am I allowing this to stress me out so much on on maybe a Saturday or something? And did you get that sense from a lot of other guys though? I I don't, well, I, I, because of the moment that this was going to be the, the biggest thing I remember was that we were in practice the week before and we couldn't get a snap off. The offense couldn't get a snap off. We it's there was one period that Capers had to start over maybe twice because David kept fumbling the snap oh, or no. or the and, and it wasn't McKinney's fault it was just everything was off yeah and you could tell that the offense just wasn't going to be ready I, I probably what people in a in a Broadway show feel like if all of a sudden sure, the, the sure. dress rehearsal is a disaster <laughs> you just you, you get really nervous about yeah, it yeah yeah for sure so that was I don't know it was a surprise as much to me I guess as anybody that we won that game and and then I had um I had the safety I just barely beat Gary Walker to the, the safety near the end of the game there and and that plays funny because I got to the sideline and I had no idea that I'd made the play I remember Corey Sears grabbed me and, and he yelled something. And, and yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, that was you. Like, what? I like, what? Huh? <laughs> I had no memory of it. That was one of those moments you just kind of go unconscious. Yeah. Because you're so tired. Well, I, uh, I I tell people, because when they ask me, oh, what's the atmosphere like? People that have never been to a Texans game. I said, well, there's two times the loudest that I've ever heard that place yeah. was the opener. And then the J.J. Watt interception. Yeah, in the playoffs. In the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could tell. I was... I was watching that game at a bar in upstate New York. And I, oh, the it was, JJ game? Yeah, yeah, and it was weird because I couldn't hear the audio real well. I'd had them turn that that mm-hmm. game on. But you could almost see the... <laughs> I, could, I swear I could see the TV shaking. It was really weird. Oh, like, you right? could tell from the... It oh, was, was just totally You wild. could tell from the TV screen how loud it was in there. Yeah, and Just how wild. crazy it had gotten. What What's that perspective like from when you leave... You mentioned watching the game on yeah. TV. So you, you go to college. We all have an affinity for the school that we went to. But then you, you play for a team at the professional level. What is it like to watch the team that you played on? Is there is there a level of affinity? Because at the end, I mean, it's a job, right? right. You're getting paid by these guys. Yeah. So what is that like for you as a former player watching these 
It's really teams, it's it's weird, um, and it's a lot weirder when you're closer to it when you still know the guys out there. Mm-hmm. I never, I think, because I had so many surgeries, I really never had a moment where when I was watching, I really really missed it. I I did want to go back and play for a while, but I think it was more out of just kind of confusion about what I wanted to do with my life and yeah. missing the, like having the purpose. But I remember the first time I went and watched a game in person. Actually, when I I watched in, on TV the first time, the first year was just, right after you retired. Yeah, yeah, was thinking that's just too violent. Man. Yeah, so what the, <laughs> yeah. How did I do that? Yeah, really. And then when I went out and watched it in person the first time, I was actually at the the Texans Jacksonville game in Jacksonville. I remember being down during warmups on the sideline and just thinking, as during warmups. And looking around and thinking, these guys are really big. <laughs> and, yeah. And just it was just it was too violent. So I've I've got enough pain in my neck that that's probably that's one of the areas of my body. I've 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 been pretty. I was going to say, how many surgeries have you? I had twelve or thirteen surgeries. Wow. I, I never had surgery in my neck, but I've got narrowing of the spinal column, so it gets it gets uh, it seizes up on me pretty easily mm-hmm. anytime I ever any kind of if I overwork my shoulders or anything. Oh wow. If I sleep on it wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I've always just got enough of a little kink in my neck that whenever I see guys hitting face to face or helmet to helmet sure. or just coming off a line of scrimmage, there's a part of me that just thinks, nah, I'm You start no. cringing yeah, a little bit. Yeah, in your neck. I don't know how they do it. So yeah. what? that's the age-old question, right? Would you, you – I mean, you have a daughter. Yeah. Would you yeah. let your son play football? <sighs> I, think, uh, I think I would. I, I think that it would have to be – in a league where the coaches were really smart about recognizing concussions. Mm-hmm. And I think I would probably make them wait until a certain age, which I know. And then that becomes a matter of, uh, I don't, football is interesting. Cause I don't, I don't worry about the specialization as much as say with baseball. It feels like with baseball, if you make your kid wait too long, yeah, they, I think that, those everybody what, else is so advanced. One of those, that baseball is one of those sports where you just have to get them in yeah. early. Yeah. And they, but then you run the risk of them being so burned out right. in that sport, yeah. which is catch-22, I guess. Two Tommy Johns by the time they're 18 or something. Right, right. So I, I would, I think that... Would most guys, would most football players let their kids play, you think? I. Hmm, that's a really good question right now. Well, I'm thinking of guys I know... Most of the guys I know who have sons, their kids play football. So, but we're older, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I wonder, like Cushing. I wonder if one well, of the he led his yeah. That was one of the biggest moments where I realized that players were a lot more educated about things. Was when I saw Cushing take himself out of a game once with a concussion, where that never would have happened back in the old days, including with like Cushing. If you had transplanted Cushing ten years before he played, yeah. Guys just didn't know any better. You got your bell rung and you just kept playing, you know? Well, that falls on the guy, right? right. On the player to be educated yeah. about those things, right? Because so, yeah. Yeah. I would think in the locker room, they, they're very careful about that now, more yeah. so than they were in the past. Right. The training rooms and all that sort of stuff. But I think my players are just way more educated about right. that stuff. And I think there's a, more of an understanding, right, within the organization. Wouldn't you say that, hey, if, if you're going to take – okay, just – take yourself out. I wouldn't want you to get hurt. I mean, you feel like Oh that, yeah, there's no machismo way. or anything, I don't think. Cuz no yeah. coach is going to get caught dead being the guy that Right. told the told the player, yeah. no, I told him to go back in, you know, or yeah, right, I, right. I told him to suck it sure. up, rub some dirt on it. Yeah, that those you could say that about 20 years ago, <laughs> yeah. but not anymore, right? Yeah, okay. and it was not even 20 not years. Even I would say like 25 us, years ago. Yeah, and it's right. not a matter of us being tougher back then or anything. It was just that was the way it was. I can remember when we used to see guys get hit bad in the head we'd laugh about it 
it was just funny. Wow. You just didn't know any yeah, better, right, right. you know? Guys right. would get a bad concussion. They'd be all woozy. And as long yeah. as it wasn't a neck, now if it was a neck injury, that's scary as hell. Yeah. But if you go back, that's why sometimes when people say, well, everybody knew what they were getting into. Neurologists, most neurologists 10 years ago, let's see. Well, let's say 15 years ago. Most neurologists 15 years ago didn't think that there was a risk of long-term damage from concussions or from just... With football, it's more like the constant trauma, yeah. the day in, day out, multiple sure. hits that they think might might be more uh, more dangerous actually than mm-hmm. acute concussions. They really didn't know, you know. Yeah. So that's why. It, so it wasn't tough. We were just we didn't know any better. Yeah. We were dumb. One of the yeah. one of the you know real sports. I love that show. Uh, one of the episodes that I remember the most is the one where they were talking about uh, head injuries with soccer players. Um, in Italy, uh-huh. um, just the repeated. You you mentioned the repeated content, yeah. and then it made me think of that I mean, yeah. because there's apparently there's a lot of soccer players that are going through a lot of these uh, situations that football players are going through now. Yeah. And it's 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 just it, you don't think about it in soccer, but if you really start breaking it down, that's what it is. You need so many headers. Yeah, and it's funny. And at the part of it too, Goodell got a lot of crap for saying he. Uh, he, he made a kind of a weird analogy or comparison and said, you know, you could go out and get in a car accident. So, so uh, why not let your kids play football? I, I do think there is something I'm trying to remember when it comes to like really bad head injuries. Now that, now that we know a concussion is probably more prevalent than what you realize. Yeah. A lot of times if you see stars, I think back to how many times I've hit my head on pavement or hard ground, trying to jump stuff on my bike when oh, I was a geez. kid. Or yeah. just doing WWE wrestling. <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> you know? right. And I think there's part of, for the most part, part of being a rough and tumble kid is you're going to whack your head a lot. <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't know if, I, I honestly, this is where I just, I question, and we need more data on this kind of stuff. Does the average Pop Warner football player take as much actual trauma to his head as he does doing other things in life or playing other sports. Oh, that's an interesting know? question. Because they're yeah. not hitting each other that hard. No. You know? Um, so I don't know. And then and then the other big question we have is we have all this data on former football players and we have their brain scans and their autopsies, but we don't necessarily have a cross section to compare it to. We haven't looked for the tau protein mm-hmm. in the population at large. Um, oh that's right. Yeah. yeah. So there's just there's more data you need. And yeah. luckily, I don't have to. Luckily, when you ask me if my if I would let my son play football, you it's don't a have pure to. hypothetical. That's, yeah. that's true. My daughter now. My daughter. My daughter thought she's she an wanted, athlete, though, right? Is no, she she's oh, more no. into theater. Theater. She, before she got to the age where she would have wanted to play football, we realized she's artsy. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I'm lucky. I just have to worry about one of those going to theater, like in the like in those old movies when the sandbag would fall on somebody's head or something. Yeah, oh, that's that was, right. Yeah. yeah, that's what I have to worry about now. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think that's. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real thing. I've, I, I when she. I feel like all that is controlled the back now by uh, by a board yeah and the curtains <laughs> opening up and all that uh okay so before i, ha- I let you go we we're, i, I want to ask you about the Texans. we talk about it every week on sports extra uh you had mentioned the, the carolina game yeah i don't know how i got so lucky in life watching northwestern football on saturdays texans football <laughs> in its current state on sundays and then feeling on monday like what the hell just happened yeah what did i just watch um that's what i've gotten the sense sometimes when i watch this texans team especially here at home the problem is one thing is fixable, which is 
Deshaun Watson's still a young quarterback. Mm-hmm. He has played what about twenty five games, twenty six games. About Let's see. yeah, he sixteen played, what, last six? year, six the year before, so that's twenty two. Twenty nine games. Twenty six games. Twenty. 20 uh, yeah, he still games. got less than two full seasons, and there were times today, and he talked about it in the the press conference afterwards, where they they took some deep shots, but there were also some moments where he's pushing the ball downfield when he should be taking the easier stuff underneath. Yeah. And he's actually gotten better at it. I, I don't know if you've noticed that it seemed like today in the first quarter in the same Jacksonville was the same way in the first quarter against Jacksonville, he was dinking and dunking in a good way. Yeah. The, that's what he had to do based on what he was seeing. He had mm-hmm. to get rid of the ball quickly and it was working out and you didn't score touchdowns off of it. But it's hard to keep that up over the course of an entire game. I think he starts to get a little impatient. Sure. To the point, still a young guy. Yeah. He still wants yeah. to make big plays, and I feel like the Texans thrive on big plays. When yeah. big plays happen, yeah, then the offense moves. Yeah. But when the big plays don't happen, when right. they're not getting the opportunities that they think and they want, they really struggle. Yeah. And I think we're just going to see this all season long, right? We're going to see really close games all the way to the fourth quarter. I don't really see. I guess. Unless you're playing a team like Kansas City, maybe even New England. I don't really see the team getting really blown out. Right. Is, I, it, is if the defense plays the way it did today, if they continue yeah. to rush the passer, you can keep these games close. But right. that was a really abysmal offensive performance when you consider that the Texans gave them the ball. The Texans defense gave the offense the ball three times. You know, yeah. You have three strip sacks. I mean, and you can't score more than 10 points. That's bad. It's really bad. That's it's really, really, really bad. And then Bill O'Brien, look... The challenge in the second half, that was in the fourth quarter, right? He, he, he had a challenge. The challenge was in the fourth quarter, yes. And gave a weird explanation for it afterwards. The Ridiculous the, challenge. The yeah. lack of... Well, in the end, he said... I don't know if you saw the press conference. He I said did, that, yeah. yeah. He said that he was trying to challenge that he was giving himself up. Yeah, but he up. was... Like, what are you doing? I, I, <laughs> he didn't... He was catching and sliding. It, and it was sliding. A, he wasn't giving himself up. <laughs> and somebody has to come up and... T- and down, I don't know. He really puts himself in bad situations when he tries to answer these questions. I know. And, and just... <laughs> And he got defensive, and he still continued to say that he thought that his clock management was okay in the Jacksonville game. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't know. I just don't see. It's hard. What's because... the ceiling? Like, what? Do you, what's the ceiling now? You're after four games, yeah. heading into a fifth against Atlanta. It's huge. But what? Like, what's the ceiling for the team? This is what I'd say right now. What I still don't know with Bill O'Brien is what his system is more than just him expecting players to make plays. And that might sound simple, but there are some guys. There's there's offensive coordinators who help their players make plays. Yes. Andy Reid. That's right. Gary Kubiak, when things were going well, helps right. his guys make plays. Right. Sean McVay helps those guys make plays. I don't see it with Bill O'Brien. I see an offense that just feels herky-jerky, changes from week to week. And it's fun to call it a game plan offense, but sometimes that means you're just doing a bunch of stuff that you haven't practiced all that much. <laughs> like we practiced it this week, yeah, right. but right. we don't really know what we're doing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a good point. Uh, it, there's no, there's no, there's no scheme. There's like, no bread and butter. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he, you want to run the ball. Great. Duke and Carlos have been actually done, done a really nice job. Yeah. But there's no scheme. There's right. no there's no plan moving in it, and like you said, it always changes. Yeah, I thought that was that's an interesting point. There are coaches that help players make plays, right? And he, I don't think he just doesn't do that. That was one thing that Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh always felt like a lot of football schemes are unfair to the players because they put so much pressure on the players winning individual battles. 
And I think that I think O'Brien thinks he's helping guys by scheming, but if the players aren't executing the scheme, <laughs> then something yeah. has to change. Right. Then it's either the scheme is either too complex or sometimes things aren't too complex, but maybe they're too ambiguous. Yeah. And and players aren't in the position where they can make decisions quickly. And, and that's what I wonder sometimes. And part of it is I don't want to let Deshaun completely off the hook because the, there were times today where the pass protection was good and Deshaun could have gotten rid of the ball. Yeah, he, he and, I mean, he admitted to that yeah. too. I mean, afterwards he's, he's like, I just got to get rid of it. Yeah, gotta he's got to come off as he's so eager to go deep and go downfield that sometimes he stays with reads way after he shouldn't be. Yeah. He needs to be going underneath. Well, one thing's for sure. We're always going to have... A lot of heart medicine, right? Yeah. yeah. All these games are going to be real close. (laughs) Thank you, Seth. Appreciate you taking the time with us. And as I always say, we hope you enjoyed the show as we enjoyed bringing it to you here on Time Out with DG. 